Welcome back to the Tape Deck Podcast. I apologize for that uh, outburst. Uh, as I'm uh, into a caffeine kick right now. I've been having caffeine for the last two months daily, and now I'm having enormous trouble sleeping. So I thought I'd give myself the opportunity to reset my clock. I'm sorry for rambling. Today is Friday, April 24th, 2020. Um, this week, we didn't cover pretty much any music, except for Fiona Apple's fifth album, which, you know, is an event in and of itself. Um, because I needed to give myself a break. Uh, being the only person that does uh, this website and everything, uh, I felt myself burning out really, really, really fast. So uh, I had to do that for myself. Next week we'll be back with some more coverage of stuff that you should listen to, stuff that you might want to listen to, stuff that you have already sent me. Um, I should mention that ever since the year rolled around, um, I have received innumerable submissions from so many people it's just ramped up so hard i used to get maybe one or two albums a week uh, and then by the end of the last year i was getting maybe four or five and now it's just uh, so many singles maybe 10 albums a week it's unbelievable thank you guys so much honestly and like i mentioned i'm doing my best to listen to everything i can Uh, occasionally now at this point that doesn't happen Um, but I want to make sure I give everything that I get sent a fair chance. So if you've got music you want to send to me, maybe I'll cover it, who knows, send it to me via tapedeckpodcast at gmail.com or use our contact form on tapedeckpodcast.com. Wait, is that what I just said? Tapedeckpodcast at gmail.com. Whatever, I don't know. I am so tired. Um, And I imagine most of you are as well, considering, uh, considering that we are now a month or so, a month and a half maybe, I'm not sure. Well, the, the quarantine started in March, late March, and now it's almost May. So it's been just over a month. And uh, hopefully we'll see Washington. The, the funny thing about Washington is that we started so early, and we are one of those... We're like a smart state, mostly. We're still filled with a bunch of idiots, but we're a smart state that is paying good attention to what is going on around us and making sure that we're all safe, that we stay protected during this virus. And uh, even though that the quarantine... Uh, is lasting at least until May 6th. Who knows whether or not they'll have to extend it after that. We might just end up seeing ourselves come back to normal. It's just a clusterfuck, honestly. And I think, and obviously, I I don't think, it's just sort of a a general spirit about it is, there's just so much uncertainty still wrapped up around all of it that everyone is just feeling so unsure, you know? I mean, we don't know when it's gonna end. We don't know when what's going to happen to the economy we know what's going to happen to the economy but we don't know to what extent and how everyone is going to get affected i mean we're going to see an entirely new an entirely new world maybe hopefully in a positive light hopefully not too many negatives after that I mean, we'll see the funny thing about the last five years is that it's there's no real reason to get terribly optimistic about it but you know what i got hope i got hope i got I've got a good general spirit that things will get better in some degree. A lot of that, of course, is what you make of it, you know? Um, But enough of... That's, again, rambling. I apologize. Um, I want to talk about this new Fiona Apple album because I didn't really talk a lot about it when I wrote the review. All I... I gave it a pearl, which is not a perfect ranking. There is no such thing as a perfect ranking uh, for the way that I do things, but it is about it. It is about as all-encompassing of an of an oral experience as you can get. Oral, oral experience. I'm sorry, I'm from the Northeast. Uh, so if you haven't listened to Fiona Apple's new album, and if you haven't, uh, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go listen to that record. Sit with it. It takes time to envelop itself within you. I know. I put it on. Uh, the funny thing is. When I wrote that review, I wrote it from the perspective of something that almost never happens to me. Usually all the music that I cover, I listen to myself because I'm the only person around me right now that has the love of, uh, as a music appreciator, you know, my boyfriend does music, but, you know, he doesn't listen to as many wide-ranging genres as I do as where, it, where it relates to popular music. So he didn't know this thing was coming out, but uh, I put it on and originally he was like, eh, I don't really get it. And then something... Something got a hold of him, and he just started listening to it with me. And then he just was enraptured. And then we we went to go get coffee. We came back, and then I just we just started listening together like it was a movie. 
And I'm, so rarely does that ever happen to me that I wish it happened more often, uh, but then it wouldn't get a special. But that's the thing about this record is that it is really actually truly special. There's no other way to describe it. Uh, I already became aware of how how talented and and amazing Fiona was at making at writing lyrics and pairing that with music, you know. I was a huge fan of the Idler Wheel. If you look on the site, uh, I did a retrospective review of the Idler Wheel a few months ago, so I was sort of prepared to take this on. And basically, a lot of what she does on the Idler Wheel, she does here. It's just, it's a, it's a further dive down, you know? And it's the fact that it is raw, I think, that gives it a little more of a human spirit that makes it, obviously, it's stupid to compare. She even says it herself, it's stupid to compare things like this, but... Fetch the Bolt Cutters is absolutely raw. It is more, almost a little more candid, you know? It's very percussion heavy. I think that it's one of those situations where everything that she does, as far as ways to pull out a means to an end sonically, like banging on stuff in her house, inventing percussion to bang on, you know, getting her dogs in on it and her sister and, and all of that. I feel like it... It's one of those perfect situations where it conceptually matches with whatever she's talking about, you know? Where there is... The whole album is sort of about very, very, very surface level. It's about um, female solidarity and women's liberation and the Me Too movement. Um, but on the microscopic level, it's about an artist who uh, is has become a recluse based on her past experiences and just her introvertedness and just who she is as a person. So opening up not for the first time, but in the most expansive way possible. Uh, and, and how that links itself to why she was put in that position and the, and the, the political and the social values that, that make something like that happen, you know? So it's like a, it's a small statement that's made into a grand statement that's done extraordinarily well. And I know that there's already been a little bit of a... You know what bites me is that... Some, I hate music criticism sometimes because... After Pitchfork gave this album a 10, all of a sudden, all of the talk was not about the record itself. It was about, well, Pitchfork gave it a 10. And that, that's a momentous occasion, apparently. You know? And I think that's fucking stupid. <laughs> I mean, good, good for them, whatever, you know. They got, they got it, or whatever. But it's just, there's, there's too much talk about what this means as far as like, oh, is this record perfect? You know, how does this stand next to a whole bunch of other music? And no one's really assessing what makes the record the record, you know? Or not no one, but a lot of people who should be listening and should be taking notes. God, I sound, I sound like an old person right now. Um, I mean, she does just so much... She does so many things that are smart that I didn't mention in the review that I should mention here. Like the fact that um, the chorus piano on I Want You to Love Me and the chorus it goes into this minor key piano movement that, that is then reflected as the verse in the following song Shamika or the fact that um, when in newspaper this was the one that struck me the most um, if you listen to the song newspaper it is a song that is almost entirely percussion and the only melody is from Viona's voice and from her sister Maud's voice and and it's all backing vocals, but when she sings that that it's I guess it's a chorus, a refrain. When she sings it, there is no discernible key at all. She's forging that melody through her own voice, and that does sort of reflect conceptually into the actual statement of the piece, which is, you know, somebody who is forging their own uh, situation and trying to to wade through the muck of the fact that they don't have any support, that they're they're just doing it themselves um christ almighty that album is unbelievable you know so if you haven't gotten the chance to listen to it yet you absolutely have to it might it might change your life it might it just might in some small way uh but enough about fiona right now what i want to do is i want to give out shout outs to some of our patreon subscribers i did this already on the early release version of this podcast which came out on sunday it'll usually come out on sunday if you subscribe to the Patreon, it's only $5 a month. Um, you know, it'll help support me when in this in this really time of need. I understand, obviously, if you don't have the money for it because we're in really dire situations right now. But, you know, if you, if you appreciate uh, local music coverage, if you appreciate really good writing, if you appreciate... If you want to help someone really achieve their dream, 
um, I would really suggest going to patreon.com slash tapedeckpodcast and checking it out. But on that early access release, um, I mentioned these, but I'm going to mention them here for people who haven't been subscribed. So I want to give a shout out to, as soon as this freaking truck rolls by, I want to give a shout out to Mr. James Graham Mifrater, uh, expand member, a lovely person all around who used to live here, and then they moved back to Florida, and now they live in Denver. Um, James and Kaylee, I hope you guys are doing absolutely wonderfully. I hope you guys aren't too cooped up and that you guys are uh, one day going to go back on all those hikes you like going on. So thank you so much for subscribing. Uh, and also me, Blood Frater, and previous podcast guest, Mr. Michael Mora, thank you so much for subscribing. Um, I can't wait to play some uh, Terraria with you at some point. I've actually been getting back into that game thanks on thanks to friends. I need to show you Divinity Original Sin 2, because I think you would really, really like it, and that might be something that would be enjoyable. And thank you for the recommendation for Persona 5. I've been playing that nonstop. Uh, thank you again. Uh, now let's get down to brass tacks today. We have an interview with Travis Shosa of the independent music blog Counterzine and of Tape Label Under the Counter Tapes. I have been acquaintances with him for a few months. He discovered me because he was doing a review of the Shinichiro Yokota uh, album in 2019. I know you like it. And uh, he found the piece that I did and, uh, and linked it in his blog, and that's how I found out about him. And uh, he's a really nice guy. Um, he's extremely hardworking, although he, he won't say it here, um, but he is an extremely hard... He's one of the, one of the most devoted people I've seen to, to underground music uh, in general. And that's, that magazine is based out of Denton, Texas, but he covers pretty much everything from across the country, across the globe, whatever catches his eye. You know, he's, he's way more on top of it than I am, I should say. So um, absolutely go check him out as well. Uh, and that'll all be linked down here in the description. Um, early on, we talk about SubmitHub and their policies, and we'll explain what that is in a second. But I do want to let you know that uh, after we did the podcast, I did... I was on, I mentioned during it that I was on premium subscriptions. I'm not doing that anymore. I am absolutely just free songs. So if you've got a song that you want to submit to me, you can do it for free. I'm not going to accept paid credits. Um, and we'll talk about that system during the podcast. But just to let you know, that is an update. Uh, and without further ado, let's get to the interview. It's really fascinating. I hope you guys learn a lot about what it means to be uh, an independent journalist and uh, maybe the spirit that goes into it. Uh, for now, thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Please check out all of our content on tapedeckpodcast.com. Maybe subscribe to the Patreon if you've got the funds and are willing to do it. I hope you guys have a really good Friday slash weekend slash next week slash the week after that. Uh, <laughs> I need coffee so badly. <laughs> thanks again for listening. Please enjoy. Today on the podcast, I've got Travis Shosa, who runs Counterzine, an independent music blog a little just like mine, except he also runs a tape label called uh, Under the Counter Tapes. Travis, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. It's nice to finally hear from you. We've been uh, telecommunicating for a couple of months, and this is the first time we're hearing each other's voices, so that's pretty nice. Yep. The uh, Yeah, we've been talking back and forth. Uh, you've actually covered some of my label stuff before. That's true. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I found uh, uh, that curling album through you, and then I decided to listen to it, and I was like, okay, I got to shout this from the mountaintops. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been shouting about that album for a year and a half now, probably. A year and a half now, yeah, because it came out in 2018, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that record is so good. Um, first of all, go check out Curling's Definitely Banned. You've already heard it from me. You've heard it from the website, whatever, but... For those of you who don't know who Travis is or what Counterzine is, he is essentially one of the hardest working bloggers I know uh, on a relatively acquainted level. Um, he does so many articles. He covers so much music. He runs the tape label. Like His work ethic is astounding. So I respect him a ton. Personally. My work ethic is good in bursts. <laughs> right now I'm being pretty lazy. But That's fine. You can't work. When I'm motivated... Yeah. yeah, when I'm motivated, I, I probably have a, a decent work workout. Yeah, it's one thing, I, I, I try to practice it myself, and I, I 
try to tell as many people as I can. Burning out is real, so real. And like, you just have to keep yourself from doing that or it's just, nothing's going to work out, you know? Like, yeah, it's just, so, it's just hard because you don't know when those like waves of passion are going to come. And if yeah. you like sit on them, it's, yeah, yeah you don't know if they're going to fade and you're going to not take advantage of them. But if you go too hard, you're just going to mm-hmm. completely peter out. So yeah. Passion yeah. is the right word for this line of business. I think that's why most of us do it because uh, a lot of us don't do it for money. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I'm not making any money. <laughs> I, do, I, I'm there. I don't think zero. Yeah, I, I mean, there are so many places like much more well-known blogs than yours or mine that that still haven't made a dime, you know, yeah. either because they don't aspire to it or because they just they they can't figure it out. You know, I mean, I and 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 that's sort of an attitude I've found moving forward is that you can't really do it for money, almost to the point where I was a little afraid of it. Like when I lost my job uh, last week, I had I was like, well, I guess I'll start up a Patreon. And even then I felt really, really bad about it. I don't know why. I was just like, I feel kind of bad trying in any attempt to monetize what I'm doing, you know. I don't, I don't think degree. there's anything. I don't think there's anything wrong with a Patreon, um, or a Ko-Fi or anything like that. Um, interesting fact: we might as well bring it up since we're talking about the monetization of blogs. Is that we're yeah. both on SubmitHub, but we are both SubmitHub blogs that only take standard credits. Right. I mean, well, <laughs> I changed that a little bit after oh, I lost my did. job. Oh, you did. I did because oh, I was okay. like. I'll I'll quit it once I get my job back, but like at All the right. moment I'm like anything helps. I so. I I understand the struggle. I'll yeah. say that. Yeah, it's I I'm I, I am opposed to doing it myself, and it's 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 a tough good on you. situation. Yeah, it's a of tough course. situation because I I do feel like the amount of work that we do and how how much if, if you're doing it well because this this has been another one of the sticking points with Submit Hub. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pr- probably shouldn't shit talk them, but I mean, <laughs> I don't even know. Let it out. Let's do it. They're much longer, so I might as well go. Yeah. Um. There's, there's a lot of sites on there that really don't put forth the effort. Yeah. There, there are some, there are some endemic problems within the way that Submit Hub is structured that kind of de-incentivizes, um doing doing good work yeah i i I think you are accurate in that statement you know well first of all submit hub if for people who don't know what submit hub is it's basically a place for artists to submit songs and uh and then it's 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 a almost streamlined way for blogs to sort of pick them up and then approve or reject them in a certain way you know like i a lot of blogs will use submit hub that have a specific amount of people that use the blog and stuff like that, you know? Right. So, so, so one of the ways that uh, submit hub works is like they, they, they display like your approval ratings and your turnaround times and all that. And that, that's what's kind of prominently featured uh, to those who are looking for blogs to cover them. So a lot of the blogs that end up getting the most submissions are the ones that have high approval ratings. And if they have like ridiculously high approval ratings, what happens is those shares are diminished. Right. Um, Generally, they're going to be writing about more things. So the thoughtfulness behind them is going to be less, um, the and trying to kind of go through all of that material uh your average music fan is not gonna sort through all of it they're we've Mm -hmm. done a couple of big posts at counterzine but they're pretty rare like we don't we don't often do more than like we have the eight tracks and that's like the biggest regular feature where we'll cover like eight artists but i still write you try to write like a paragraph or two about every song that's featured on one of those things yeah a you'll, thoughtfulness aspect to it you know yeah you'll you'll get to uh you'll get to a lot of these sites where they'll they'll share one track on a post and they'll be like i like this song it is the good song i like the drums <laughs> And then it's the song. (laughs) So what they're doing in that situation is they're they're just trying to set up like a buttload of links 
And if they can get really good blogger approval, they actually get bonus money for accepting more things. Yeah, exactly. It's like as much as you can. So you this know? is, yeah. Like, uh, I don't, I really don't know how like deep we should get into this stuff. <laughs> we, can, um, we can keep it light if you want to. You know. Uh, all right. Well, if I go too far, you just cut it out. <laughs> Don't worry sure, about yeah, it. I got gotcha. you. Um, I got gotcha. you. But but one one example that was kind of driving me nuts is there a place there's a there's a blog called Rainland Magazine, Rainland and that's really Magazine. what yeah that's really what came to mind where with that type of blog. So they're they were listed as a really good blogger, and their approval rating is over fifty percent. Oh my and, god! Yeah, their approval rating is over fifty percent, but they don't offer like any kind of meaningful commentary on anything that they put up it's literally them just building a massive archive of links so they can try to pile on uh seo like they're gaming uh, the numbers yeah yeah because the more links that you have out there the more chances you have for hits all right i see I and see. That is they so get stupid. bonus money because they're in the really good bloggers program. They get bonus money for every single song that they submit, which is over fifty percent. Right. And because they have a high uh, percentage of approval, and they're listed as a really good blog just because they accompany the music with some amount of text, no matter if that text is uh, has length or quality or insight or anything like that. Um, if you're going through that feed as an artist and you see approval rating 55% really good blog, you're like, oh, yeah, that's where I'm sending my money. But it's even not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Even if afterwards you're kind of like, wow, that's that, that's not really the work of a really good blog. Yeah. Well, th you know what's funny is that if we're going to get into uh, the, the modern struggle of doing music journalism independently, it is – that crucial struggle between well there's just a crap ton of music coming out in all angles how do we sort through that to actually nail some real gems you know yeah. and i think that every blog deals with that in one aspect or another differently yeah you know? and, and i mean i think that's maybe more than anything my my main kind of qualm with getting the whole money involved because you yeah. really only have two options in this kind of scenario um, one, you can either accept almost everything and mm -hmm. give people something for their money, or you can be very, very picky, but you're still taking money from all the people that you're rejecting and you're rejecting tons of people. Yeah. And that already feels like crappy. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I, that, I, that's I, the problem I have had with it ever since I started accepting premium subscriptions is that I'd be looking at stuff and I'd be like, oh, I hate that you paid for this credit because i don't like this song and i don't i don't want to not disapprove like it it is not a good feeling yeah, when there is money involved in that regard. yeah it's a it's a it's a tough thing because i know that a lot of it's a lot of work because yeah. i do it and i know it's a lot of work and there there have absolutely been times where i've been close to just like oh yeah i deserve some money for what i'm doing here right yeah right exactly but it's yeah it's never gotten to the point where i've been I'm luckily in a pretty fortunate situation where yeah. I don't have to uh, capitulate, I guess. Exactly. I think most um, people uh, are who would yeah. who would have the energy to run this kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Ugh, but I is. mean, yeah, stuff happens. And if, if this is, if, if you like went to college for writing and stuff hasn't come up and this is what you're spending your time on and you need to make, at least enough money to kind of pad the rest of your living expenses. Yeah. I get why it's a tough decision to come to. Exactly. So I, yeah. I did a whole piece on submit hub and I tried to, uh, I tried to be relatively fair about my feelings on it and the, the things that come up because there, there are as, as many kind of crappy blogs might be on there. There are a handful of fantastic ones like yourself. Premium, premium or no premium, you're running a good blog. Um, yeah. Very small flames. Another really good blog that's on there that takes premium yeah. credits. Um, and I, I, I get the need to. If you're putting that much time into it, a lot of people are like, I need to get some sort of return on that, that time. Exactly. I am, yeah, I am fortunate enough that I am not currently in that situation, and I think if I became in that situation. 
unfortunately, I would probably have to shut down the website. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I, I get it. And yeah, yeah I, I, I don't demonize anybody for making use of that. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just think uh, people should be, yeah, I think people should just be aware of how it works. Yeah. And the likelihood of how things go. Do more research on the websites before you submit to them. Very true. Applicants that they didn't have like, like special titles for. So originally their infrastructure uh, at the top, the people that got paid were the, uh, the station director, the programming director and the promotions director. I see. So they, they all got, they all got not a whole lot of money, but they got money each year. And then they opened up these new positions and one of them was music director. And the whole deal with music director was it was still like a position where you had to hold office hours and you had your own tasks. And it demanded like like 20 hours plus of work each week on top of your own radio show. But you didn't get paid for it. And a lot of your tasks were relegated to like uploading CDs to the database. Oh, almost busy work. Yeah. Like that doesn't sound like the kind of work that would be associated with a title like director. Yeah. So uh -huh. I was I originally had applied for programming director because I was like we 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 had this big issue where we had all of these DJ hosts and supposedly we operated on like a three strike program where right. if you kept on like not showing up for your, to do your show and you didn't tell anybody beforehand why you weren't going to do it, you'd strike. If you did it three times, your show's gone. Ew. That sucks. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you don't tell people that you're, that you're going to do That's it. That's also true. It is like yeah. an organizational if thing. If you give a heads up and you explain why, it's fine, but if you're just gonna like not show up for your show because you didn't feel like it, you didn't tell anybody. Yeah, that's that sounds like basic shit. You know? Yeah, because we're we're supposed to like promote the shows, <laughs> and yeah. if somebody's expecting a show to happen and they tune into a bunch of silence and then randomized <laughs> music that keeps on happening, it ma it makes the entire station look bad. Of course, yeah. So we had this big issue, and. Uh, yeah, I was like, we, we need to get a, get a hold of this. We can't just say, no, it's fine. Take your 17th strike. I don't care. Yeah, you had um, to sort of lay down the law at some point. Yeah, and I, I kind of put forth this methodology, and it was not uh, looked upon well. But I, I ended up getting music director anyway, although I had to. This was another thing that was kind of uh, split. So it was originally uh, conceived as a one-person position, right? Yeah. Is you'd think it wouldn't take more than one person to upload some CDs. Of course. Right. Um, what they did is they also took uh, one of the other applicants who had no prior, prior experience with the radio station or in radio, period. But it was one of the, one of the people's friends, one of the, I believe it was the station director's friend, uh, and they needed some college credit. Awesome. They they needed some stuff for their uh for their applications. So right. they they wanted to be able to write like music director Coog Radio on their application. So they decided that music radio radio bleh, music director would be two people. But yeah, this person had done nothing beforehand, and even after they got the position, they didn't show up. Uh, fucking resume building, man. Yes. So they oh. they got. They got the benefit of the resume building while I did all the work. Awesome. And I also got like handed me down work from the people that got paid. Okay, I see. So this is a bad situation. Yeah. So okay. I kind of backed out of that. I, I tried to I tried to keep some words in alive. I this so this is another fun fact. Um Under the Counter Tapes is not my first record label. Oh interesting. Not my first record label. My first record label was some weird sin records. Okay. And it was actually considerably more prolific in its output than this uh, this label. As Interesting. I had had more money to work with back then. I was uh, I was less jaded, <laughs> as we all were. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you're when you're in your like late teens, early twenties, you've got you've got an amount of enthusiasm that's ill advised. Yeah. I would say. <laughs> 
by older people for sure. But that's yeah. what, really what college radio thrives on is that that enthusiasm. Yeah. Why that age is so apparent. You know? Yeah. The uh, there there were some great. So I, I went on this whole thing about like bashing cougar radio, but there were some really really passionate and talented and smart people that worked there. And I just wish that they had more power within that station. Yeah, I can imagine. But, but it didn't happen. But yeah. I don't regret my experience with that because it got me further into all the things that I'm doing now. So exactly. I got in, yes. I got into radio and podcasting and blogging and learned what I liked about them and what I didn't like about them. And, uh, so – after after I kind of put in my my two weeks or whatever with Coog Radio, um, I went more full bore on the record label. Uh, that had its ups and its downs, mostly <laughs> ups. Good. Um, I didn't That's really positive. know what I was doing. It was it was a very ambitious project, and I was doing it alone. Yeah. I was trying to like make it as big as a super indie, and I was like twenty, and I had <laughs> no team. Um, that shouldn't so then, stop you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh no, no, it was uh, it was. We put out some good stuff. That's that's all. I learned some things, and we put out some good records, and we put out some good tapes, and it was good. Really, all you can uh, hope for in that regard. Yeah. So I did that, but a couple of less than ideal experiences kind of tainted it. Uh, a couple of years in. And I kind of just fell out of music for a while. I mean, I yeah. still listened to it. And I still kept up with it because if you're a music fan, you stay on top of that. You don't mm -hmm. stop listening to music. But mm -hmm. I kind of stayed out of being involved with it on that level. Yeah. Well, it's, that is, it's, it's a common thread, I think. There are so many people that I know of who were involved in a music world in some capacity when they were younger. And then all of a sudden you hit a wall and you can't really rely on your enthusiasm anymore. Like there's just one or two things or experiences or just your mentality shifted. And all of a sudden you have to learn Well, it's like, well, how much do I want to continue with this? Like you sort of have to relearn how to like it in a way. It's, it's, it's an addiction. <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to say that you get a, so what was, what was the thing was, is I was addicted to being involved with music on that level. And it became unhealthy, hmm. and I had to rehab. And then I'm now in the relapse. All right. Well, here we are. <laughs> so, I know that's I know that's uh, not the uh, the cheeriest way to put it. And uh, no, I'm I'm having a good time with what I'm doing. I, I think I, I I'm I'm probably more happy with my work than I've ever been. That's good. As as much as it kind of fluctuates. But yeah, I, I think I'm in a pretty good spot, but I had been out of it for two or three years after some words in, and then it just kind of hit me that I, I needed to do something with music again. Yeah. And it was very unambitious. It was just kind of, it was in 2018 and I had my friend, uh, Sean Lockridge out of Austin, Texas, Input Perverse. He's been in a bunch of other bands too. And on my old label, I put out his album, Who Knows, which was like his debut LP. I put that out on tape. Cool. And then in the meantime, he had like released all of these EPs. And I was like, these EPs are like even better than the Who Knows album. <laughs> and I kind of also want to reissue Who Knows because that's good too. So let's do a compilation. And I don't know how many releases we're going to do or how often we're going to do them. But I want to do an Imp of Perverse compilation tape. Start there. So we got that out late 2018. And after that, I was kind of like, well, maybe I want to get back into writing a little bit. And I, I, had, no pl I had no plans of doing my own website. I was completely disinterested in it. Because hmm. I, I had tried that before. Because there was also, in the past, a Some Weird Sin blog. Uh, can't find it anymore. But so I had that going on and I reached out to Cassette Gods. Who are they? Other places. Cassette Gods is a cassette based blog. I mean, they, they get sent cassettes and then they review them. Uh, Critical Masses reviews for them. Okay, cool. I'll have to you, check it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, we're, we're going to get into why I. 
part of this is why I started the site, keep in mind. Yeah. Um, so I, I reached out to them, and I, I had some tapes, and they, they asked for a couple of uh, writing samples. So they wanted to me to do a couple reviews before they started sending me stuff, which fair. Right, yeah. Um, so I wrote about Elizabeth Owens uh, off of Grimalkin, a label that I cover on the website over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, not every single one of their releases, but most of them. Uh, I wrote about that, and I wrote about uh, Wood Chickens on Personal Militia out of Wisconsin. Cool. And so I, I did those up, and I sent them over, and I didn't hear back for a week, another week, another week. And I was like, are these guys going to ever post them? I'm not hearing back from them. Yeah. Um, do they hate them? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody so, say something. <laughs> yeah, so I just, I just didn't hear anything. And I was like, I still want to get these out because I wrote them. Right. Um, and then I saw Philip, uh, uh, Philip Zemnick, or Zemsek. I, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. Sorry, <laughs> <Yeah>. Philip. Uh, <laughs> the guy that runs Z Tapes, Philip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he has United Cassettes. Uh, it's He runs Start Track now, which is another Submit Hub blog. Um, but before he got into doing Start Track, he uh, he just had the United Cassettes website, which is also his uh, kind of international tape distributor thing that he does. Right. And he was looking for reviewers for that. So I said, hey, you want to take these? And he's like, yeah, cool. And uh, he was considerably faster about the response. But at that point, like after a couple days, I was already antsy. And I was like, fine, I'll just start my own fucking website. <laughs> <laughs> so I put them up on there, and he posted them shortly after, and then we did the same deal with uh, the Brundle fly tape, and then I just started doing stuff on my own website regularly. Yeah. And at yeah. the time, that website was just under the counter tapes; it was attached to my label. I see. Well, that it, there it is, though. It's if you want a job done, you got to do it yourself. Yep. You know. I'm a control freak, but I try to be a considered control freak. Yeah, that's all you can do. It's hard enough to control being a control freak, which is ironic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So basically, it, it, it's a love of of sharing, of being integrated in that community and, and sharing music and putting stuff out. You know, you described it as an addiction. You know, it, it is, especially the website thing about the uh, part of it. So. Um, having experience in the website and the label and the, uh, the radio, the website is definitely the most addicting because you have the most control over building it day by day. Yeah, it's true. Um, with a label, um, essentially it's a lot of waiting and red tape and doing all these generally unfun things. Yeah, so this big payoff at the end where it's like, wow, this this thing, this physical thing, now exists because I helped make it so. I see. Okay. So, so it's less so instant there, gratification and more like yes. Yeah. Um, with radio, you have your thing every week, and it's it's good. I I I enjoyed radio for the most part. Um, but with the with the website, it's just hey, I. I'm going to take an hour or two today to put this thing up and my website will be tangibly bigger. Yes. And that's the thing too, is that it, it is, it is an instant thing. Like you can just put up yep. notes when you want to for the world to see instantly. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, it's, you don't have to wait around. Like right now, uh, my label is sitting on its last two releases basically. Well, the, okay. the, the, one of the two releases is still kind of forming. Is that uh, the Banders collection? Yes. Yes. So Banders is still kind of forming. We've got a week left of submissions on. For those who uh, don't know who that is, it's a compilation to support Bernie Sanders. There's a whole bunch yeah. of uh, artists that are contributing right now, I'm assuming. It, it is kind of morphed. Um, so originally Banders, I, I, I got inspired to do it. Originally, the Ryan Experience album was going to be the last release. And then uh, Bernie won Nevada. And I kind of got inspired. It's like I never did a compilation. I kind of just wanted to do a compilation. Um, I didn't do a compilation on my old label either. Just never, never got to it. Even though of I course, released yeah. tons of stuff on there, and it just kind of seemed like the last sign of no, do this before you shut it down. Yeah. Um. 
And again, I support Bernie Sanders and his campaign and all of that. Um, as we are now in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, and the Sanders campaign is starting to kind of be pushed back, and mm-hmm. it's not looking uh, as, I guess, optimistic for a Sanders presidency. Um, I've kind of had to, yes, un- very unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but realistically, I've had to kind of reassess how that money might best be spent. So mm. I held a poll and I asked some people. And uh, so I think what we're going to do is we, Sanders has actually been fundraising for five different organizations for uh, coronavirus response. And yeah, I've got the, I've got the list here. Let me bring up the list. Sure. Go ahead. Cause, cause it's, it's always a, good. Yeah. Cause it's like a few now. Um, yeah, No Kid Hungry, One Fair Wage Emergency Fund, Meals on Wheels, Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, uh, COVID-19 Emergency Relief Fund, and the National Domestic Workers Alliance. So um, the so those, proceeds to this compilation are all going to go to those companies? or those? Not uh, just that. So that's, that's part of it. So I still wanted to uh, incorporate an element of the political thing, but I figured uh, rather than kind of give to a campaign directly that might might not be making it as as sad as that is yeah um we'd redirect that money to uh our revolution which is the political action organization um kind of founded in the spirit of bernie sanders uh for the movement that he kind of leads it was founded by nina turner who is his uh campaign chair yeah yeah i heard about that and what it does is it essentially uh, it takes money and then directs money to different progressives that are running for office. That's wonderful. So Ber- yeah. So Bernie's still one of them. It's just he's going to be getting a smaller direct slice for his campaign and more money is going to go to down ballot progressives and more money is going to go to dealing with the coronavirus response. That's fantastic. That's an awesome way to turn an iffy situation into something it's a it's a good way to compromise i guess for what the situation has turned into yeah i was just kind of in the uh i was kind of in the situation where i i if we're gonna raise money i want to make sure that i want to be like very sure that it's going to good use absolutely oh for sure yeah I, i felt essentially uh diversifying the uh the giving portfolio would be a good way a better way to ensure that that's good well i'm glad that you're doing that um, there's only a few days left to, uh, to, uh, accept stuff. I mean, this podcast is probably going to come out realistically in late April, so yeah. it'll be over by the so, time. So, so yeah, if this comes out in late April, it'll already be out. All and right. Be to... so go, go buy banders. <laughs> yes. Go, go buy, go buy banders now. Um, I'll support it with yeah, what it, money I have left. I will support it. Yeah. It's coming out slash came out April 3rd. All right, perfect. Future us. Go buy it. And yeah, so that's one of the releases that we're doing with Under the Counter Tapes, and then the other one, which was originally planned to be the last one. And now it's going to be because we shifted it. Um, so originally, the run experience of Funky Town was going to come out on the 3rd instead, but we right. had a release show attached to it. Is that in Houston? And- no, no. So uh, the Run Experience are from Lowell, Michigan. Oh, okay, sweet. Yeah, they are. They are a uh, a band from Michigan. Uh, Ryan Clark uh, is the ringmaster, I guess. He's he's a very very nice man, but he's kind of like an indie rock beef heart figure in the sense that he has his magic band that uh, has tons <laughs> of different personnel that cycle in and out. So, like, on all of his albums, you'll hear more than, like, 20 different people. They Damn. play a bunch of weird instruments. Uh, like Hokey, uh, his previous album, one of the songs has hand drill on it. Okay. Wow. That's, uh, yeah. that's eclectic. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but it's done very, very tastefully. It's not, it's not, not really weird at all. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like, oh, how hand drill. Yeah. I, I think that's the most appealing thing. One of the most appealing things about them is that they get really, really eclectic, but they're also very tasteful about it. Cool. That's awesome. 
Okay. Um, we should check it out then. Um, it's uh, is it already out or is it about to come out? Uh, Funky Town is now moved to 420. 420. Uh, All right. So it's yeah. probably going to be close to out or already out by the time this one comes out. So go check out that one as well. Yes. Um, yeah. And now that we're <laughs> talking about it in van- in uh, advance slash past tense, um, there's also there there might have been a release show that is like a very very small backyard gig. <laughs> Because that right. was the deal. His uh, because of COVID, the uh, four third show got canceled, and Ryan's like, I still want to do something. Yeah. And uh, he he came up with maybe having a few people well spaced out from each other in the backyard, depending how the situation plays out. Perfect. Um, if the curve is not flattened by four twenty, we will have canceled that one as well. Yeah, that makes sense. But I hope it goes well. I yeah. I hope it does too. Yeah. It's it's very very odd that we're talking in both. Uh, past and future tense future tense oh and especially because that future tense is, is wrapped up in such uncertainty no yes. one literally knows when this is going to end so like yeah i'll just like maybe this will happen maybe it won't who knows I've, I've got my i've got my optimistic kind of idea i've heard like as late as august oh um, my god oh for god yes. forbid yeah <laughs> i have heard as late as august um I've heard other people saying that they hope it's taken care of in April, which I believe is pretty naive. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, I'm but... kind of estimating, and again, I'm not a professional on this by any means, but uh, I would probably guess late May, early June. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. That's what a lot of people, a lot of people with their heads about them, are maybe speculating. Well, who knows? Because. Uh... Because when this podcast comes out, we'll have more information about uh, what is actually happening. Yes, you know? it's very, Honestly, very, very we might bizarre. Be, we might be right. We might be incredibly wrong. Who knows? If, yeah. if, if, I, if I was wrong, uh, berate me after you listen to this. <laughs> and send him a tweet. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap things up. Uh, do you... This is a question I sort of ask people who are sort of in the same situation. Um, Everyone, there's so many opportunities to love music and there are many opportunities to, to do what we're doing and attempt to spread that appreciation. Do you have any advice for anyone who wants to try and do what we are doing? Um, I mean, get a web domain. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's really about as simple as that, yeah. um, especially if you're not trying to like make it a big thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty easy to just get a web domain and write when you feel like it. Um, if you if you don't want to pay the the low cost of a web domain, um, I let pretty much anybody write for my website if they want to. Yeah, it's a um, good call because there are so yeah. many people who want that opportunity. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, basically the the state of music journalism is very very weird right now, and I could I could go all into depth about why music journalism struggles while j- games journalism uh is booming it's crazy but isn't it i i know yeah i i kind of i kind of have an idea of why uh, there are a few factors but yeah yeah well well one of them is that games are way easier to write about that's true because it's very concrete when you have yes. something like music which is just an auditory format like you know you can you can interpret stuff it's a little harder to actually nail down like what would be considered quality or what would be an actual critique but with like games you know exactly what's working and what's not just based on if the controls suck the controls suck exactly and it's it's audio (laughs) it's visual and it's like tactile like there's three different criteria that you can sort of come together like very three-dimensional so it's very you're right it's very easy yeah, if you can you can appreciate like low the the sound of lo-fi audio recordings. Yeah. I do. Um but if you're playing a platformer and you can't control your guy, that's a bad game. Exactly, regardless. Yeah. Know? So so game game reviewers are allowed to talk in these very concrete kind of technical terms. They yeah. don't have to get very flowery with their language because that's not what people are looking for. And you know what's funny is that um, I occasionally, I used to read the AV Club, I don't anymore, but what they used to do, or I guess what they still do now, um, is that they'll they'll write game reviews from the perspective of like treating it like almost like a work of art in that they'll go into 
they're big proponents of ludo narrative and they'll be like oh they're this is doing this thing and they're kind of comparing it to like movies and stuff like that but they're not necessarily talking about how the game is actually being played it's like another angle that's not necessarily as helpful if you're looking for a critique of an actual game and whether or not you want to buy it but then also that's the other thing is that ever since metacritic started becoming a big thing like games uh besides uh movies and music and whatever they're just more expensive and people want confirmation that what they're going to be playing is good that's that's also the big thing so what's this is a very difficult thing that you and i both have to struggle with and kind of accept is that a lot of people don't see the the value in a music review simply because it's so easy to just listen to the album that we're talking about and decide it yourself yeah right so a game review inherently has value because if there's a $60 game that's coming out and it doesn't have a demo, it's you true. can't just be like, hey, this review doesn't matter because I can just play the game for free and know if it's good enough, uh, good or not to me. Yeah. Um, if I write a thousand words about DJ Sabrina, the teenage DJ, <laughs> yeah. um, you could read that and take me on my word or you could just listen to the album at no cost to yourself. Exactly. So you have to you have to be a curator more than a reviewer. Yes. And that's that's why the whole curator thing has come about. It's true. But with with so many curators, there's also the the conflict of if everybody's talking about the same artists, music is so easy to make now these days. It, not well, not easy to make but like it's accessible to make right um that there's absolutely tons of it and if everybody's talking about the same people there is so much being left out of the conversation it's true conversely if everybody is talking about different stuff who do you trust exactly you know and it's hard and that is you are right the, the the focus has shifted to spotlighting like really all you can do is sort of find cool stuff and and weigh whether or not it's being covered by other places like i enjoy writing reviews of the new kanye west album as much as anybody else because kanye west is incredibly fun to write about but it's not as useful as as finding underground artists that maybe haven't don't have the money or the resources to find pr to 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 get their stuff out and then be like okay yeah it's like, what are, what are the chances of somebody discovering Kanye West via the tape deck or counter tape? Exactly. It's, I mean, really all you'd be reading it for is, is an, an argument that would of your either, own opinion. Exactly. You know, and what, what use is that? It might be fun, but yeah. yeah. It's not useless, thing. but it's not as useful as a lot of other things that we could be doing. Exactly. Which I kind of, I kind of get in that conundrum too. So like part of me. Uh, really wanted to take the time to write about the new Dan Deacon album. Mm. And Dan Deacon's not huge, but he's considerably bigger than a lot of the artists that I've been covering. I mean, he he's done stuff with the Grammy website and Billboard, and I mean, he's he's popular. Exactly. Um, so I I have had to kind of weigh do I do I spend a thousand to a one thousand five hundred words or however many words I might talk about the new Dan Deacon album, or do I spend it writing about these other tapes that nobody is talking about because yeah. the, the field is so crowded and curators are very picky about very weird things. Yes. So you know, it's, it's funny. I think I find, uh, I, I find enjoyment in that struggle because my justification sometimes, if I'm, if I want to write about something that has a lot more press is that I can I can find places to to show the stuff that I've written about, and then hopefully that helps me build an audience that will be able to see more of the coverage that I'm doing of underground stuff. Yeah, I think there, there's a there's, way to leverage that. Where there's a merit to that. Um, what I what I've found is you kind of have to tackle that incrementally. Exactly, it can't just be. So, there's a balance to be struck. Yeah. So, like, if you're writing about like if you're writing about a bunch, of, a bunch of underground artists, like really, really like unknown people, and then you decide to like write about the new Beyonce album, mm-hmm. um, people are not going to check out your website to see, to read about the new Beyonce album. Yeah, 
like Beyonce's not going to give a shit. <laughs> let's, be, let's, be, let's be perfectly honest with ourselves. If I wrote about Beyonce, Beyonce would not give a fuck. That's true. Um, but if I'm writing about like this, these unknowns, then I go maybe maybe a step above that. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I can get some traction there, and then maybe I cover a little bit more of that, and maybe you can go a step above that. And then yes. at a certain point, you can get a good mix of all the other things. And then you write about a big artist, and that artist fan base at that point can come to the website and check out the uh, the lesser known artists. Exactly. And what it comes down to is you have to get people to trust your writing. You know. Yes. And that's and 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 that's a hard that's a struggle. Yeah. You know? Um. In yeah, I don't. I don't. I feel like people find my writing to be trustworthy. I Absolutely, I would say so. <laughs> I, I find certainly your, find your music trustworthy, or your yeah, writing, I, your music. Yeah. But yeah, your I, music, I, I guess, as well. Technically, the yeah. stuff you sent me has been fantastic. Yeah, um, and I find your writing to be trustworthy as well. I, I, I find your, uh, I guess it's not a, people have been calling it a, uh, a rating system. I don't remember if you call it a rating system. Um, it is technically a rating system. Okay, I so I, I, I think of it as more of a cataloging. I say so, too. Because, yeah. like, w- when I... When I like look at all the the different color things, I mean they're they're not really an indicator of quality. They're more of like if you like really dumb, good sounding music, check out this color. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you if, <laughs> if you want like stuff that's kind of like really really ambitious and interesting, but maybe they have really bad re- recording equipment, so it doesn't sound very good. Check out this color. I say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. You know? and it's and it's. It is a stupid rating system. Like, it's but not I, stupid. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's... I appreciate how convoluted it is. Like when I came out with it, I was like, "Man, I really don't like rating systems." I remember the first album review that changed my mind about Chris when I was starting to get in music. I remember when in two thousand something, or it was around that time. But in two thousand ten, I remember reading Pitchfork's review of Daydream Nation, which I had listened to Teenage Riot before. And I read it and I was like, wow, this is so cool. And it really got me listening to stuff. And then from then on, I started really uh, eating up stuff uh, from that era, from those works. And then as I grew and I started to listen to more music that was underground, I was like, well, this is actually kind of dumb, you know? And then eventually it was like, well, I just sort of got cynical about the whole thing, especially when Pitchfork went uh, uh, down a bad road uh, like five or six years ago, you know? Yeah, Pitchfork... Pitchfork has kind of operated on a bell curve in my mind. Yeah. So if you look back at some of the uh, the archived reviews that you can no longer find directly on their website, some of those are really bad. They're so bad. Oh my god. They're, they're, they're aggressively like offens- awful. Offensively bad. Yeah. If, you, if you're fans of good writing, they are offensively bad. But that's sort of why they got big in the first place a little bit, because um, music journalism back then, especially online music journalism, there was a bit of a punk aspect to it. Where yeah. you didn't need to be a good writer, all you had to be was provocative. Yes, you know, and I, I, well, that's that's how the internet works. As long as you're doing something that people will react to, it doesn't matter if it's something good or something bad. It's going to get clicks. Yeah, you're going to get true. your name out there, and then you can market yourself off of that. So yeah, like you'll you'll read some very very bad white boy jazz reviews <laughs> <laughs> from Seriously. the early days of Pitchfork, uh, archived far far away. Yeah, and the stuff they don't want you to see. <laughs> yes, but they they got enough of a name off of kind of that early stuff, and they got a staff, and they marketed themselves properly, and they broke a lot of really good bands. They did so that 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 period of kind of like the the first half of the two thousands mm-hmm. was really really good for Pitchfork. It was, and the second the second half of the two thousands was pretty good too. Um, it's really been the past decade where they've kind of slowly become less relevant and more, I guess, corporatized. And it feels yeah. like it feels like there's a barrier to access to being uh, like a pitchfork band. The condonastiting. Yes. In other words. Con- yes. I, I rag on that shit all the time. <laughs> I, 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 lo- I love my I love my uh, condonast jokes. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of nasty, personally. Yeah, <laughs> so stupid. Really, it's a, it's just because it's a stupid pun doesn't mean that it's not a great pun. Thank you, thank you. You validated my life. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right, we gotta we gotta uh, close things out. Um, 
I think this has been a fantastic discussion, personally. I've learned a lot. Uh, I hope you guys have learned a lot, if you're still listening. Uh, Travis, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, go Thanks check for out having me. Absolutely. Me ramble. Yeah, rambling's <laughs> great. Occasionally talk over you as i'm doing again oh, i haven't done this crap in a long time especially when it's recorded remotely like it's just too yeah. hard zencaster can only do so much yeah i can't read your face when you're about to talk <laughs> um go check out uh counter zane obviously under the counter tapes is going to put out banders and uh and funky town uh Funky Town from the Rhine Experience, right? That's the yes. band. Cool. Go yes. check those two out. Those are probably going to be out by the time this uh, podcast airs. Um, go check out his stuff and check him out on Twitter. And go check out my stuff as well, if you haven't already. TapeDeckPodcast.com. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys are doing well while we're still in quarantine. Have a safe day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.